coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 27th of February, 2022, the indwelling Father. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn again to the book of John, chapter 14. When we had left off, Jesus had declared that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. He continues on. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip then responded and said, Lord, show us the Father, and that would be enough for us. That would be sufficient. So this this morning, I'd like for us to focus on the relationship between the Son and the Father and the significance for us. First of all, we sort of have to pause for a moment because we're looking at this passage from some 2,000 years after the fact. And we have to go back to that time. What was going on in the hearts and minds of the Jewish people in general and more specifically the disciples? They had all been raised in the Jewish culture with a whole center of worship around the temple, first the tabernacle, then the temple, and the idea of sacrifices, and the idea of coming before God was through a priest, where they would bring animals in to be sacrificed, and then there was the brazen altar, and then, and then the, the whole basin of water for cleansing, and then only the priests would be able to go into the temple, into the holy place, and they, there would be the table of showbread and the altar of incense and the candlesticks. But the Jews wouldn't see that. That was inside for only a select few. And beyond that was the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest went in once a year. So this was the context of their worship mostly in the courtyard outside the temple. And who were they referencing? A God who was unseen. In the Old Testament, they had seen the pillar of fire and the clouds, and they had followed in the wilderness and their journey from Egypt to the promised land. They had seen that, but what did they know of God? And then comes along Jesus Christ. And we look back at it, we go, we know who he is. But what did they know? They knew him as a man who, maybe in their mind's eye, they started out thinking of him as a teacher. And then as they watched him, as he 
preached and people said, man, no one has ever spoken with such authority as Jesus. And as Jesus proclaimed who he was, maybe they came to believe that, you know, this might be the Messiah that was talked about in the Old Testament. But the idea of a personal God that they interacted with was scuffed upon by the fact that they rubbed shoulders with Jesus, especially the disciples, for some three and a half years or so. They saw him in the morning when he got up and his hair was messed up. They saw him when he had to lay down because he was tired. They saw him when his feet were dirty and he had to get clean and they saw him that way. What a contrast to the worship that they had known in the temple. Is this, are these two connected? And so this context then is the setting for this upper room discourse and the revelation that Jesus is giving to his disciples. Now, he'd been all along, been talking about who he was, but it takes a little while for our minds to make transitions sometimes from one thing to another. And Jesus talked about going to prepare a place for them in the Father's house. And Philip comes along and he says, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Maybe they were envious of Peter, James, and John and their experience with the Mount Transfiguration. They got to see glorified Christ. The rest of them hadn't. Or maybe they were looking for some Old Testament experience like Elijah or something or one of the prophets seeing God or Moses up on the mount and they wanted to see God in his glory. And Jesus begins this section after saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. There's a little bit of a problem with this passage, not problem in the sense that, it, that it's wrong or anything along that line. But the translations allow for two different kinds of uh, interpretation of verse 7. As you know, doing textual criticism, which is comparing scripture with scripture from the old manuscripts, some manuscripts had a verb form that went off in this direction and a verb form that went off in this direction for other texts and trying to figure out which one is best is part of that process of textual criticism in the best sense of that word. So I'll give you the two kinds of possible translations of this passage. 
could be translated in verse 7, if you had really known me, which you didn't, you would have then known my father, which you don't. That could be one way it could go. It could be another condition of fact, which could be translated this way. If you really know what you do, you will know my father as well. I mean, you can pick, take it either way that you would like because there's good evidence on both sides. But I like to think it's the other way. You really know me. And you will know my father too. So, whether Philip is looking for some vision of God like Isaiah or Ezekiel or one of the prophets or not, he asked this question. Show us the Father. So I've sort of uh, developed an outline out of a um, song that I know. It's a song that came out of a musical back that uh, was on Off-Broadway in 1971. The Godspell. The song came about First of all, written by an English bishop back in the 13th century, and then made into a, a hymn that found its way into the Protestant biblical, uh, Protestant Episcopal Church hymnal back in 1940, and then was tweaked a little bit for Godspell. And maybe you have heard it day by day, day by day, dear Lord, these of thee three things I pray to see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, follow thee more nearly day by day. And some of you might even be letting that tune bounce around in your head. <laughs> So I've used that sort of as an um, outline for our passage this morning. The first one, to see thee more clearly. If you had known me, you would know my father also from now on. You will know him. And then Philip said, Lord, show us the father is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is then saying literally to, I want you to see me more clearly. I want you to see me for who I am. Like I say, they had several hurdles to overcome. They had their whole heritage to overcome. They had the whole walk with Jesus over the last several years to overcome. How do we find the balance between a God who is unseen and centered in worship in, in the temple and the Holy of Holies and then compare that with this itinerant preacher that we've been traveling with for, and seeing 
all our waking hours now for years, how do we come with an understanding of who God is? In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul is writing to the church there at Colossae, and the first phrase of that verse says, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I've told you the story before of my friend Dee, who when she lost her son right after birth, I went to visit her and she, she was a, not a believer. And in the hospital we talked, she, she said, I believe that my son is with God. I said, I do too. But she asked the question, why? And while I had some thoughts on the matter, my speculations wouldn't have done any good for her. So over the next several months after she got out of the hospital, <clears throat> she had a business here in town. And I stopped in to see her and she said the same thing every time. Well, you know, one of these days I'm gonna have to visit you at your church. I said, well, that's not why I'm here, but you're always more than welcome. So this went on for, oh, half a year or so. And her mother-in-law was a regular attender. In fact, one of the people who helped establish the church. And she brought in D one Sunday. I was beginning a series going through the book of Colossians. We had just finished that great prayer at the beginning of Colossians. And my text for that morning, got to know the providence and the planning of God. Because my text that morning was Colossians 1.15. And it says, he is the image of the invisible God. And I, my whole theme was... You can't believe in a God up there without coming to grips with Jesus Christ who came to earth here. And of course, my eyes were big when I saw her come in, knowing what I knew about her and the text for that morning, and I preached the message. And as she goes out, she thanked me for the message. And I'm thinking, I wonder how that sat. <laughs> was about an hour or two later, I get this phone call. And she calls me up and says, do you uh, have a Bible study about Jesus? You know, that's like saying sick him to a dog. 
And I said, yeah, I think I can come up with something. And she said, well, where are we going to meet? And I said, I've got a great place. Let's meet at your mother-in-law's house. That way, we're all good. <laughs> so I met there. And after the third study in the, in the opening part of John, she came to put her hope and trust in mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. Why? Because it wasn't the God up there anymore. It was Jesus Christ who had come to earth and the real person, Jesus Christ, was a revelation to her. So point one, lesson one, if you want to know your heavenly father, examine the son. Examine the son. And point two is taken off of that. It says when examining the son, be sure to see him as God fully glorified. Not just an itinerant preacher who fills out the stories in the gospels, but as he truly is, itinerant preacher and son of God. With all of his glory, with all of the essence who God is. My illustration of this, so that you might sort of see where I'm thinking, what I'm thinking about, is from pictures that we got back in 1963. At that time, JFK was president, and some of the pictures that were coming out of the White House were quite revealing, because they were pictures taken in the Oval Office with JFK and John John, or JFK Jr. And if you remember, if you saw any of those pictures, here was little John John crawling around under his dad's desk in the Oval Office, playing with dad, running around in the Oval Office, playing with his, his family. And you go, whoa, what a place to be playing. None of us would have access to the whole, into that oval office. But here is this little boy running around, playing with dad, having a good time. And the point is this. I'm sure that little John John, about age three, saw him as dad, just like any other kid would see their dad. But I wonder if he comprehended him as leader of the free world and the most powerful nation in the world. Didn't see him that way. But both things were true. And the same thing holds for Jesus Christ. When we examine the Son, we're seeing the Father. That's what Jesus said. Is that from here? So, anyway, there's the whole idea of
point one is if you want to know your Heavenly Father, examine the Son. That's the relationship between the Son and the Father. Point two, when examining the Son, be sure that you see Him as God. Not just the itinerant preacher, but God fully glorified. The second point, to love thee more dearly. Verses 10 and 11. Jesus goes on to, to talk to Philip and the rest of the disciples. He says, do not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus had plenty of evidence from what he had declared about himself and his miracles to back up his authority and his place. He says, do you believe these things? And there's a phrase in this section that I have read, I don't know how many times, but I had never really never connected. He says, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. It is God the Father who is doing the works. It is God the Father who is indwelling me to do the works. And we see that intimacy between the Father and, and the Son Later on, as we continue down through this passage, in future times, if the Lord gives us opportunity, we'll see about the Comforter and the Holy Spirit that's given. But here, Jesus said, when I'm in operation, I am not by myself. It's the Father who's indwelling me in order to do what I do and to say what I say. We see examples of this several times in, in Scripture. In John chapter 5 and verse 20, in 19 and 20, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the, for the Father loves the Son, and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. And now that passage, I love that line. The father loves the son and shows all that he himself is doing. And we said to love thee more dearly. Do we love the Son, like the Father loves the Son. Wow. It's enough to bring us up short, isn't it? The Father saw the work that the Son was doing. He indwelt him to do the work, but it also said he loved him. He loved the Son.
when Jesus was in the temple, we have the record in John chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I am not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. And that's the whole crux of this argument as Jesus is giving these words to his disciple, he says, they said, show us the Father. And he says, here I am. <laughs> the two of us are commingled. It's hard to, to separate the heart and the desire of one from the other because we're in accord. We're in understanding of this. What he shares, I do. And what he wants me to, to speak, I speak. So we come to point three. When examining the sun, do we marvel at the love of the Father? And do we love the Son the same way? Jesus said, I'm going to give you this revelation of who I am and what I'm about. And they're starting to make the connections in this passage between that God who is in the Holy of Holies and this itinerant preacher here. And Jesus is saying, let's pull these concepts together. And the God of the universe, the creator, the sustainer, the, the God on majesty on high is standing before you as well. When we examine the Son, do we marvel not of only the love that God has for us, but the love He had for His Son? And do we have that same kind of love for the Son? Point three. So we move to the lack section. Follow thee more nearly. At this point, it looks like the topic has gone off track. Because as we're looking at it, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, for the Father will be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And I'll tell you, this passage has been yanked out of this context so many times. Basically, it's been interpreted or at least applied as God has just written you a free, uh, a blank check and signed his name. You fill in the rest and spend it however you want. Doesn't he say that? Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So as long as I say Jesus at the end with amen and Jesus, we're good to go. I don't think so. Follow thee more nearly. 
look at this passage, it isn't about a blank check. It is about carrying on the work that the Father was doing through the Son. What if our prayers were tempered this way? When we pray, is our desire to join Jesus in glorifying the Father. That would put a damper on some of our prayer requests, wouldn't it? Because we say, the issue here about prayer, and you know who's impacted most by prayer, is the prayer, right? As we pray then, and we're in tune with this passage, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If we are in harmony with this request, what we're doing is we're saying, why did Jesus come? Why did the Father send him? Why did the Father love him? Why did the Father indwell him? So that he could do the work that the Father had for him to do. And if we pray in Jesus' name, in accord with the character of who he is, and if we say, Jesus, we're already saying Savior, so we have an, an inkling of where our prayers ought to go, the spiritual impact in lives wouldn't it temper our, our prayers to say what I'm seeing here in this passage is not a blank check what I'm seeing here is an invitation I'm seeing an invitation to enter into the same kind of of context that Jesus was speaking about one where the father is glorified and where the God where the father loves the son and where the ministry of Jesus Christ is being worked out to the glory of the father and so that my prayers then if I ask in Jesus name with the intent of glorifying the father my prayers need to be conformed to following those guidelines. And what I mean by that is, is my heart desiring to glorify God in this prayer request? Is my, is my prayer desiring to see the work of God in and through my life like he did in and through the life of Jesus Christ. And as my heart go out to the lost, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Is that the heartbeat of my prayer? Is that what I'm about? When we pray, is our desire to join Jesus in glorifying the Father. Wow. A couple short verses here 
in the middle of this sermon in the upper room as Jesus is talking with the disciples. And now we see the, the Father and the Son come together and we see the power and the dynamic of, of what God is trying to accomplish. And what do we see? Glory bouncing off the walls and the message of salvation proceeding. And God says, well, when you pray, why don't you come and join us? Oh, dear Lord, these things I pray to see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, and follow thee more nearly day by day. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the vision that you have given to us from this text. And may we be like-minded. And may our hearts go out to those round about us, to unbelievers, to share the good news of the gospel, and to believers, to build them up, to edify them, and to point them to you. And Heavenly Father, may all these things be done with your glory in mind. We ask in Jesus' name.